This is the Tiger Kickoff Podcast with your hosts, Emily Liker, Callum McAndrew, and Wilson Moore. Hello and welcome to the Tiger Kickoff Podcast hosted by the Columbia Missourian. Happy fall, y'all. Right? Yeah. That, that was a great intro. Thank but... you. Uh, no, we're, uh, we're getting to the introductions. We'll get there. I'm Callum McAndrew. I'm Emily Liker. And I'm Wilson Moore. Yeah, and... I'm all about well-being this week. Just really? want to ask how you get, we're a third of the way through the season. How are you guys doing? On a scale of one to ten, one being Blaze Aldridge getting bulldozed by Will Levis, ten being Sean Robinson getting his first sack. Um, I'm probably like a six okay. right now. I'm very tired. It's been a yeah. long first third of the season, I think, and it's just been very go, go, go. Uh, and yeah, it's been a lot. I, I think on that scale, um, I am Tyler Beatty after Central Michigan. I'm pretty. I'm I'm having fun, mm-hmm. happy, also very tired because he made that pretty clear after that game. So I think on the I don't know where that sits, but if I feel like that's about an eight. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's about yeah. an eight. What yeah. would a six be? I don't know. I was thinking about that because I was like, oh, was I supposed to make a football reference there? Um, yes, please put this in football terms. Maybe. Obviously, we weren't on the press conference from this week only Wilson was there but maybe like Harrison Mevis after kicking a really good field goal but knows he's supposed to be sad for his team like I know good stuff has been happening I know I've been doing good stuff like uh but I'm not feeling super great otherwise you know yeah yeah makes sense all right yeah so speaking of Boston College like, like I just implied, Callum and I were not there. Wilson was the only one who the Missourian decided to send uh, support local journalism so that <laughs> Callum and I can go on future road trips, everyone. Um, but anyways. They had clam chowder in the press box know, is what I'm hearing. That's this is the main thing I'm upset Buy about. a newspaper tomorrow. I am sick of not eating. Uh, hot dogs? I want clam chowder. I know. The press box? And- Wilson said it was good. It was solid, yeah. Yeah, but... Um... <laughs> I don't think anyone's listening to get our clam chowder takes. Although what, they're not listening to get ours because we didn't have any. <laughs> but, anyway, what I was going th- to say there was also a football game that day. Yes, but. and what I was going to say is that while Calvin and I were sitting in the newsroom watching the game on the TV and just kind of enjoying ourselves, just looking at our computer screens, looking at the TV, listening to random goings on in the newsroom, I made three separate predictions throughout the game that all came true. Sort of. They all came true. They came mostly true. No, they all came true. We kind of have to dispute the first one because there was a turnover. Yes. So the first one was the second they got the ball, Boston College got the ball. After Mizzou had scored on their opening possession, I was like, Boston College is going to score in six plays or less. Then there was an interception. And so that kind of like messed up a little bit, but they scored in five plays on the next drive. So we still counted it. Okay, that's fair. Or they scored in four, I think. It was five plays total before they scored, including the interception. We'll give you that with an asterisk. Yeah. Later, I think in the second quarter, I said, this game is going to end one of two ways. In overtime, or with Mizzou's defense finally getting its score-on-D moment, and that's going to be the tie-turner of the game. What happened? The game ends in overtime. Finally, I said, if Boston College wins... Their fans are going to storm the field, and that they did. And there's been a lot of discussion about that topic. And Wilson, I know you are very passionate about storming the field. Give us your takes. Look, I thought storming the field was absolutely appropriate in that situation for a couple different reasons. Obviously, you have your people saying, oh, 
got to be a top 10 team, top 25 team, whatever, to storm the field. I am on the opposite end of that spectrum. I say when the vibes are saying storm the field, you storm the field, and the vibes are saying storm the field there. It was an emotional win. It was on the far side of the field, so you have BC's team running that way, so it felt natural for the student section to flow down with them going the same direction. Storming the field just felt right, and I think that is all the criteria you should need to storm the field if you're a student section. I could not agree with you more. (laughs) I like it when this happens. Yeah. I think fans should storm the field regardless. (laughs) Vandy. Win or lose. Just blown them out 62 nothing. Georgia, get on that field, (laughs) is what I say. I don't quite lean as heavily that way as you two, but... I think in this case it was acceptable. It felt like vindication for my rant last week. <laughs> About... Where I wanted Boston College to turn this, turn the heat up on this game. You didn't and get the did. 20 taunting penalties I did not you were get, hoping for. I don't think we got any, actually, which is very annoying. Um, no, I really, I, I am very, very happy that they did that. Yeah. That, that, that has made my life infinitely better. Hopefully when this game returns to Missouri... They bring some fans that storm the field again, or Missouri fans storm the field. I want this to become just a heinous rivalry. That'll be 2024. That 2024? Potentially, yeah. maybe. I mean, that'll be, what, this year's freshmen yeah. will be seniors that year. So yeah, yeah. maybe they will carry it with them yeah. in their hearts that Boston College beat Mizzou. Remember this moment, sophomores. Speaking of the field, uh, a game was played on the field. And what, what, do, you, what do you guys think we can, uh, we can take away from that from Missouri's perspective? Well, Oof. the run defense is still abysmal. <laughs> no one wants to talk about it, but we have to. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just. I mean, the thing we've been saying since Saturday to each other, to anyone who will listen, is just how have they not been able to fix anything that has been a continual problem? And I mean, like the run defense is the most blatant example of it, but there are multiple things that they just haven't been able to fix that you'd think like four games into the season they would have figured out like they've had a conference game they've played against big opponents they've played against small opponents that they still had the same issues against like what is not clicking for them I don't know and it doesn't really seem like Drinkwitz does either because he seems to give a lot of like non-answers when he talks about this subject matter yeah uh, yesterday when he said that they're not hitting the panic button. I think that's only because they might have lost the panic button. I think they don't know where the panic button is because now is the time to panic. Now they they sh- they're like there should be sprinklers going off in the 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 D line room right now. I mean it is it is woeful. Three players have taken them for triple digits on the run this season. They are giving up two hundred and sixty nine plus yards a game. Another two seventy five piece against Boston. It's so bad. Panic. Panic, do not keep a cool head after this. And they're officially second to last in terms of rushing defense. Ohio. Ohio is the only one below them. I mean, we did our report card this week for the Missourian. You can find it on the ColumbiaMissourian.com. Good uh, Where we gave all of the position groups letter grades, as one does, uh, like we're teachers. And, I mean, the defensive line was, like, far and away the worst. We were very nice to them. Yeah, we gave them a D plus. I would have given them an F, but... As Wilson said, their pass rush hasn't been terrible, but I don't know. Wilson, in person, did you feel like you saw anything different than maybe what we were seeing on screen? I don't think so, based on what I'm hearing here. You know, at SEC Media Days, Drinkwitz brought Case Cook and Akeel Byers with him, and he made it very clear there that 
everything starts up front. And, you know, in the moment, I remember thinking that just feels like kind of, you know, football, you know, arbitrary speak. He's been dead on so far. The defensive line against the run hasn't gotten any push, hasn't gotten any, you know, like Steve Wilkes likes to say, you know, resetting the line of scrimmage. They haven't gotten any of that. And, you know, seeing it from a... uh, from the kind of bird's eye view of the press conference, they are just getting pushed around. They're getting, you know, Chris Rodriguez, Patrick Garwar getting massive holes to run, to run through. And, you know, the it, the run defense hasn't been great um, with anyone. Uh, Blaze Aldridge has been kind of Jekyll and Hyde. But it starts at the defensive line, and they're just getting cleared out of the way on some of these bigger runs. One thing Callum and I talked about, too, when the game was heading into overtime, I mean, obviously they showed the college overtime rules on the screen, which make no sense to me. I love them. It seems like the most inefficient way to, I mean, efficient, I guess, in terms of time, but like, otherwise it's not efficient at all. Because like we were saying, when you're 25 yards out, if you don't score, you're a terrible offense. But like, also, if you've made it to the point where you're tied, unless it's like 0-0 and you can't score against your opponent from 25 yards out, that's like a terrible, I don't I don't know, like what happens there? Like, do you have just like a moment of, which I guess it did happen for Missouri because Connor Bazelak threw an interception and the like, game like ended. just wanted but, to leave. Yeah. Like, it was like, this, this ends now. But it was just, One way or the just other. an interesting circumstance. And I know... In the post game presser, Drinkwitz was it Drinkwitz or Basilak? It was, was Basilak said that he Basilak they were gonna Basilak said we were gonna score there and we were gonna go for two, which I know we've talked about this a little bit, but we're all in agreement, right? That that's absolutely the right thing to do there. Go oh, for two, yeah. you know the deep you make it there and you kick the field goal. Okay, you're tied again. Your defense needs another stop. What's the point that? Uh, Boston College didn't score once in the second half. The defense had given us, the observers, no reason to believe that they were going to get a stop, particularly from 25 yards out. Makes way more sense, especially since Missouri had scored on a couple straight possessions. Their offense is kind of cooking. You score there. You have one play three yards out. You make it. You score. You don't have to worry about your defense. That was... It's a little uh, little disappointing we weren't able to see it in practice. We'll never know what would have happened, but that would that's absolutely the right call to make, I think. Talking a little bit more about the offense, I mean, the, running off, the rushing offense has been a relative strong suit for Missouri all season, but only 88 yards this game. Like, they're missing Case Cook, so that's one thing, and hopefully he'll be back this week. I don't know if we've gotten an update on what exactly is going on there, but... Drinkwitz had said after the SEMO game that he thought Case Cook could have played, but then he wasn't even suited up again at Boston, right? So we're kind of unclear as to what's going on in that situation. But 88 yards, not a lot. And most of them came from Tyler Beatty. I mean, what's going on there? Shock horror. I mean, most of them came from Tyler Beatty. It's, it's, it's a little bit thin behind him at the moment. Yeah. But, like, I think Boston College did a thing that... Uh, that Missouri has just not learned so far. And that is, stop the threat. <laughs> Where's your biggest weakness? Where's your biggest strength? It's Tyler Beatty. I think part of it, too, is um, just that Missouri was playing from behind for most of the second half. They were down two possessions in the fourth quarter. They threw the ball a lot. I don't know exactly. I think Basilak threw it through the ball 30, 40 times. That was what they had to do by the end, which I think was part of that, you know, in games like Central Michigan, SEMO, 
they had the luxury of being able to give it to Beatty and just, you know, let him chew clock, let him go into the line. They didn't. They had to score a lot more quickly in this game. They definitely had to do that in the third quarter. Would they have the ball for, like, 80 seconds in the entire quarter? Yeah. You're, you're yeah. kind of forced to start moving, start hustling at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the fourth quarter comes, and they're down 10 points. They're down two possessions. They had to – they couldn't play that ball control offense. Right. There's also been – this is less game-related, but kind of game-related. There's been some um, commotion among the wide receivers. I mean, we've discussed this a little bit, that it feels like there's like one group that'll play one game and then one group that'll play the next game, but there's definitely some unrest among them about not getting enough uh, snaps. Mookie Cooper posted an Instagram story that was then reposted by Boo Smith, kind of being like, hey, I wish I could play more wide receiver. And Drinkwitz did address that yesterday, yeah. So... I don't know. Do we feel like those guys should be getting more reps? Do we feel like Mookie was just being rested because he was injured at the beginning of the season? Like, what do we think needs to happen with those players in the receiving core in general? That was the indication we got from Drinkwitz yesterday that Mookie, maybe they maybe rushed him back a little too quickly from his foot injury. I also think um, it's hard to speculate too much into, you know, a, a five-word Instagram post. And you know, we don't we don't know what Mookie was thinking. We haven't talked to him in the last week or so. Who can say what WR means? <laughs> WR stands for a lot of things. What else does it stand for besides wide receiver? World record. Oh, off hey. the top of my head. He wants to play um, more world record? Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know he what wants goes to through set his a head. World record? I can't speculate. We did hear from Barrett Bannister yesterday. We did. Who got his first touchdown since 2019 in the game against Boston College. He caught, he was, it was the first one that he caught, right? The first touchdown of the game? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the first um, what Did he have anything to say on any of the receiving core drama, per uh, se? No, not really. I mean, you Or know, the world but, record drama. <laughs> he didn't the, mention world records either. But, okay. you know, ba- Bannister's a guy we all... We know how he operates when he talks to us. He's not gonna. He's not gonna ruffle a lot of feathers. He's gonna say the right things, and he did. Looking forward to this upcoming week, Tennessee versus Missouri. It's Missouri's home SEC opener. It's the last consecutive 11 a.m. kick. I won't say that there won't be another one because I know how that process works now because I wrote about it. Um, how does that process work? Okay, well, I'll give a brief rundown before we get into the game. Basically, it's all, it's all up to the TV networks. So, like, they each have different contracts with the different conferences. So, like, most of the SEC's games go through ESPN because there's SEC Network and stuff there. But CBS always gets a game. It's usually in the 2.30 p.m. Central Time slot. They pick their game first once the schedule's out. Um, and this is all done on a week-to-week basis. So it's not, like, predetermined at the beginning of the season because they want to see which matchups are going to generate the most buzz, which they can't do until they're into the season. So CBS picks first and then ESPN basically decides the times for like the rest of the games, then like delegates it to the channels. But like generally SEC network gets an 11 AM, a 3 PM and a six or six thirty, I think it was. And then ESPN is just kind of like fills in the rest and it's morning games and then night games. ESPN doesn't really do afternoon games. So, that's a rundown on that. <laughs> Mizzou plays Tennessee at 11 a.m. And just, what what do we make of this? Just early impressions. What do you guys make of Drinkwitz calling them the fastest offense in college football? 
he I think he's on to something. I think he, he even uh, he cited something. He think he said uh, they run three plays a minute about, so about a play every 20 seconds, which is pretty fast. Kind of the opposite of Boston College, who, who uh, you know, Boston College wanted, they wanted to possess the ball. They wanted to chew up clock. We saw him do it to perfection in the third quarter. Tennessee's the opposite there. Go, go, go. They try to keep the defense uncomfortable, keep a fast pace, keep things kind of hectic. You know, the call coming in from the sidelines, keep the defense on its toes. So well, it's a real interesting uh, contrast we'll see between last week and this week, Boston College, Tennessee. Does this in any way benefit Missouri? Just you- speeding it up. Because when it's been slowed down, it's not been great so far. Do you think if they've just got not, not got any time to think? I I don't think so because Tennessee also has the number thirty four rushing offense in the country, oh. and so like for Missouri's defense, I don't think speed is going to do any favors. I think that's going to mess them up more potentially. Like, what if they just accidentally get great? Because they're going so fast, they just end up in the wrong spot. Well, it's worked enough. I guess there's like maybe like a fifteen percent chance that that happens. I mean, it can get worse. Well, it could. It can get. It can get one. It can get one worse. It can get. It can get one Ohio worse. Yeah. Um. Did you guys see what Tyon Evans said? No. Yes, I did. Have you not seen it? Mm-mm. Got asked about Missouri's run defense. The running back. I've got the quote. So uh, do I. I don't want to get into it. We're going to have some fun. Just to be clear, he does not mean we in this instance. He means he. And you guys still think Missouri is going to beat Tennessee? I do. Accidentally. I don't at all. I don't at all. I watched one quarter. I mean, I watched more than that, but all it took was one quarter of the Tennessee-Florida game for me to be like, no, I think Tennessee's going to beat Missouri. The game Tennessee lost 38 to 14. Yes. And didn't score in the second half. Like I said, I think and we'll see. Next week y'all can clown me all you want if this ends up being untrue, but I think Tennessee's going to beat Missouri. I feel like this is like the safe like this is a safe hill for you. Maybe, but because Tennessee, but I'm disagreeing with you guys, so how safe is it? I mean, so Tennessee rushed for 148 versus Florida, and we have to assume that the Gators' run defense is about 10 times better than Missouri's, so Tennessee are going to rush for 1,480 yards against Missouri. That seems like it's going to be hard to defend. But there's also just the fact that I, we're still a little unclear at how good this Missouri team can be. But we do know they're not they're not Vanderbilt. They're not a this abject terrible team. They're a talented team. They have they've been really good on offense so far. The past defense has been pretty good. They have one massive glaring weakness, and teams have been able to to expose that. But with that said, they're strong enough in other areas. They're a talented team. They're not going to get shut out in SEC play. They're going to win some games this year. They're two and two. Both of those came against you know non-power five opponents but they have two wins and they're gonna pick up more wins they're not gonna go two and ten this season and i think you know they're gonna win some sec games and i just this feels like one that they do win against a lesser quality opponent where before this texas a&m arkansas florida georgia gauntlet i think that they have to win some games at some point i i think this is so i think this is where it starts and it's because of how high i am on their offense 
I mean, they're 19th total offense in the nation at the moment. That's, I mean, I think I've said it before and I will say it again. They are going to stick around no matter how bad their defense is. They are going to stick around in games just clinging on for dear life at times. But they're going to be there. But that's another conversation we've had, though, is like how much is the offense impacted by the fact that they're having to carry Missouri? Like, when does that come back and bite the Missouri offense in the butt? Like, I mean, In overtime against Boston College. Yeah, but that seems that feels to me just the beginning of that. Like, four weeks in, Bazelak's getting tired of having to work. It, I keep on setting up situations where I would have to swear <coughs> and just kind of having to backtrack out of it. But Bazelak is having to carry this team pretty much. Bazelak and Beatty, but at this point, largely Bazelak. And we see him throw two interceptions against Boston. Like, how much of that is just stress from having to lead the team in more ways than one. Well, I think there's also the issue that, now we've talked about this, but Basilak's mistakes are so magnified because of how bad the defense has been. Because the offense has to be very close to perfect to make up for the defense. So anything that isn't perfect, you know, any, you know, not terrible interception, neither of those picks he threw were awful. He had Bannister open on one, just waited too long. The second was just he was taking a shot and the, uh, Underthrew it a little bit, but Brandon Sebastian also made a really just good play on the ball. But my point is, we notice those because they have huge implications. If the defense was better, he could throw two picks and they would just be a footnote to the game. Everything Basilak does is so much more important and we notice it. It becomes magnified because of the defense. Because off of both of those picks, Central Michigan, uh, Kentucky and Boston College scored off of the subsequent drives, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's literally both of those games. That's yeah, overtime yeah. in the Kentucky game. Yeah, they lost game, by seven both of those games. Boston yeah, game. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it is interesting to look at Bazelak's last year stats, too. I believe he had seven interceptions, six touchdowns. I think that sounds right. I'll fact-check myself in a second. But, I mean, he definitely does have a little bit of a history with interceptions and having some trouble under pressure. So I'm just, like, not sure if, like, he can sustain this level going forward. And I mean, he's still like relatively young as well. I mean, he's a junior technically, but a redshirt sophomore in football. Um, so like, I don't know, that's a lot of pressure to be carrying a division one program under a second year coach when you've barely played a full season before this. So I I, I'm super high on this offense. I, I really am. Basilak's going for 300 yards a game at the moment, 12th best in the country. That's... Uh, any criticism coming his way is just unwarranted to me. Okay, so less criticism about Basilak, I guess. But other than him, who else is the standout on the and Beatty? Other than Basilak and Beatty, there is no other standout player really on the offense. Well, I mean, you you just named two standout players. Yeah, but two people can't carry an entire team's offense. But that's also part of what makes has made this offense good so far is the balance, is that there are there are like six receivers who can who they can target in the red zone, who can make a big play at any given time. You know, we came into the season thinking Kiki Chisholm was gonna be the kind of go to guy, and I think he barely leads them in receiving yards. He has like a hundred eighty, which is a little um, a little higher than Beatty and Toski, but Toski just had a good game. He did. He had yeah, a very Boston good game. College, what was it? 80, 80 something. Yeah, somewhere somewhere All in that neighborhood. Legs. He had a he, he had a huge catch on third down in the fourth quarter that 
kept the drive going that ended up being crucial. But my point is, any there are so many receivers who can make plays. Right. They don't need a standout in that receiver room. They've Chisholm, Dominic Lovett, Chance Looper. We'll see what Mookie Cooper can do once he's fully healthy. Once he's Tusky playing some Dove. world records. Yeah. <laughs> Tusky Dove. We, there are just so many guys who can make plays. I don't think they need that one playmaker. Yeah, Tusky did have 89 against Boston College, and Kiki has played like a really significant role. I guess he's usually the most most targeted or second most targeted, I think, each game, or has the most yards. It kind of depends on how long or how far he's getting his receptions. But I don't know. I Maybe I'm just the pessimist of this group, but I don't know. I worry that it's going to become too much for them. I, I, I mean, I, I, the thing is, like on the other side of that, I don't think we've seen the best out of any of them yet. That's the other side of the coin. That's I mean, because they've relied on Beatty so much through these opening four games. He's one of the best all-purpose players in the country right now. Basilak's been very solid. He's only needed his receivers in bits and part roles. I mean, if if Kiki steps up and has a monster game, I mean, that's again, makes a huge difference to this offense. I think I still think we have to see the best from them. Or if Towski gets his eight touchdowns. Well, now he needs ten. He needs ten. He wants two a game this season, so... You know, better start. I mean, if he gets eight this weekend, then he really only needs four next weekend. So, And after you've gotten eight, four is pretty... That's pretty uh, much nothing, yeah. you know. And yeah. it's North Texas. So. That's easy. Yeah. Um, one big unknown, and th- it's funny that this has happened now like two consecutive weeks almost, is that Tennessee doesn't have like a set quarterback right now, um, which Boston College kind of... D- they didn't have their starter, and they had two different guys that they had listed on their depth chart, and... It was pretty clear who they were going to go with, but kind of similar situations. How does like an or how does a defense, particularly Missouri's defense, prep for that? Did Wilkes say anything about it last night? Yeah, Wilkes and Drinkwitz both had similar things to say about it, which is the two their two go their two their first and second stringers Milton and Hooker. They both they're similar players and they do a lot of the same things within the offense. They're both guys who can extend plays, get out of the pocket, can run a little bit. But they're called on to do generally the same things within Tennessee's game plan, which makes it it's not, it's not like you have you can only prepare for one, but it makes the process of preparing for the two of them much more similar and easier to do than if you have, you know, one standard drop back pocket passer and one runner. They're much more similar players, so it makes it a little makes the process a little smoother. Uh, score predictions. Score predictions. For Already? Tennessee versus Missouri. Oh, I haven't even thought about this yet. Wilson, do you have one in mind? Sure. Go ahead. I will say Missouri 28, Tennessee 21. Interesting. Okay. I was thinking the same range. I'm going Tennessee 35, Missouri 24. All right, let's swing for the fences here. Missouri 42, Tennessee 18. Wow, that's a... That's going to be way off, folks. I don't, I don't, don't nope. listen to him. Nope. <laughs> I don't hate that like offensive prediction I could see. I don't, I don't see the defense holding I am, Tennessee. I'm high on Missouri this week. I think they're going to fight fire with fire on the, on the defensive line. They're just going to shock them. Just You want to you not tell us who your quarterback is? You want to play a snap every eight and a half seconds? Well, guess what? We're going to bring the heat. <laughs> I think, okay, my other non-score prediction, 
one quarter will be entirely scoreless. Kind of like that. Uh, Not in my 42-18 game. Well, yeah, probably not in that. But before we get to our game, do we want to plug Tiger Kickoff stories for this week? Ooh, shall we? Callum, you have the feature. What are you I have got the thicker kicker. Talk about timing, folks. Started this a little while ago. Uh, What do I plug about the story? There's so many, like... If you know Harrison Mavis, which I don't, um, but he's a very organized person. Uh, you know, uh, watching his routine when he comes onto the field, he uh, he always seems to do the same thing. He kind of comes onto the field at the same pace. He does the same things as he's setting up. He does the same things as he's running through. Um, so I wanted to look at that a little bit more, and it turns out he's a super organized person in all facets of life. Um, got to talk to some of his old coaches. Thank you to Bart Curtis and Cole Richards. Really enjoyed talking to you two guys. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. It's a fun story. Um, just diving into a little bit of who Harrison Mavis is. And I am doing the secondary story, which is a bit of an explainer on targeting, which I meant to bring this up earlier, but there was an interesting call in the Missouri-Boston College game. It was Dominic Lovett was down. It was the first or second quarter. He had just caught a reception and totally got blasted by Isaiah Graham Mobley. They collided. I mean... Dominic was on the ground, so it wasn't really a collision. Graham Mobley just hit him, spun him almost 180 degrees in a circle. His Part of his helmet came off. Like, definitely seemed to be targeting. Everyone on the internet thought it was targeting, or everyone who's a Mizzou fan thought it was targeting. And it was ruled not targeting. So, I mean, it's one of those cases where targeting's a really difficult rule to call, and it's been really interesting kind of, like, learning a little bit more about, like, the history of the rule and, like, why it was implemented. I've also been doing a lot of, like, concussion data research, which is often very depressing. Like, I was looking at a CTE timeline, and it was just, like, a lot of, like, really sad statistics. So um, that was a little tough in writing the story. But I get to talk to some SEC officials later today, so um, that'll be really exciting, and I'm excited to see what they have to say about the targeting rule. And What if they're just, like, I don't know. <laughs> that would be concerning and not great for the story. So I hope that's not the case. Would it be entirely case. surprising, though, the way targeting is called just around the country? No, probably not. I, that's One of my questions is going to be like, what's the worst reaction you've ever gotten to a targeting call like on the field? Like, Because I'm sure, I mean, maybe not the ref I end up talking to, but I'm sure there's a ref who's got to like, hit or like had some like a player try to start a fight with him for getting called for targeting like that has to have happened before right what's your guys takes on uh they should show red cards for targeting calls well okay so the big like push for people in terms of like trying to get the rule amended is that they do want it break broken down like flagrants in basketball where it's like targeting one is just a it's a hit and it happens to be helmet to helmet whereas like targeting two would be it's very obviously like he moved to lead with his head or like hit the crown of his head which is like the very top so there's like a lot of push for that to be the change uh which i guess would be like similar to showing a yellow and then a Mm -hmm. red card um with targeting two being the only thing you can get ejected for because a lot of people are like if it's an accident the kid shouldn't be getting ejected for it but there's also people who are like oh it could be like two targeting calls in one game then you get ejected so there's a little bit of disagreement over what the like 
reformed punishment should be because a lot of people just don't think it should be ejection across the board for any targeting call so and who who was it that was saying that they're a fan of like the walk of shame that, that was me. is that you yeah. You're, okay. i mean it's uh it's 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 for the best that uh if you're ejected for targeting you're allowed to uh stay on the sideline now um i think they changed that rule last year but i did like the pre-2020 post-targeting walk of shame where a guy would get ejected for targeting then you'd have that like high angle camera shot of him just all alone at one end of the field as he trudges into the tunnel. I always found that kind of funny. Definitely. Well, we can move ahead to our game we... now, Wilson. You told us that it was going to be... I said it was going to blow you away. Was yeah, my exact, that, were, those, my exact that was the phrasing. exact phrase. So yeah. we're ready. Yeah. Oh, I'm ready. Yeah, Callum's beating 2-0. Me, so. Unbeaten, just like my beloved Sam Darnold. For those of you who are not familiar, this is Factor Cap. Because we are cool young people who use words like that. Yeah. We're hip. We're hip. I, <laughs> that might be the most uncool thing I've ever said. Uh, I, I mean, it might. I have five facts about the University of Tennessee in front of me. Some of them are real. Some of them are not. Emily and Callum will try to guess which are real. First one. Tennessee got the nickname the Volunteer State. Because of the high number of citizens who volunteered for wars, the first of those being the War of 1812. Fact or cap? Fact. Fact. That is a fact. Yeah. I didn't think you guys were going to get... I thought one, that was going to get one of you guys. I always associated it with the Civil War, which mm -hmm. that is an, that was another one. And the nickname came around, at least for the school, long after the Civil War. But there were several. There was the War of 1812, I think the Mexican-American War... The Civil War was the third of those three. Well, after you kind of roasted our history prowess last week, I felt like we had to go quick on that one. All right, all right. Because we can't be having that. Uh, Tennessee wide receiver Cedric Tillman is the has a lengthy football background. He is the son of former Chicago Bears defensive back Charles Tillman. Fact. I thought you were going to try and connect him to jeremiah tillman and i was whoa that would have been good no matter what um i would say probably you said i said fact, fact. yeah I'm, I'm i'm rapid fire in this week cap it is cap they're, oh they're right. not related is this oh. my first lead i was gonna game? say i think you just took your first lead in three weeks of doing this wow absolutely dynamic cedric tillman's dad is also named Cedric Tillman. I, Good to my knowledge... Junior, senior action. Yeah, to Are my... Are we sure it's not him? Charles Tillman? Yeah. Unless he changed his name, which I mean... Begins with a C. Yeah. <laughs> to my knowledge, they are not related. Okay. Uh, Oof, tough. All right. One of the most notable figures in University of Tennessee athletics history is Pat Summit, who coached the women's basketball team from 1974 to 2012. However... As a player, she was not at Tennessee, instead at nearby University of Tennessee Martin. Is University of Tennessee Martin nearby? It's in the state of Tennessee. Is that what you consider nearby? It is have what you, I consider Have you nearby. driven the length of Tennessee? It's a long state. It's wild. There's like 300 miles where you think there's been an apocalypse. It is. There's nothing between Nashville like, and Knoxville. Okay, we're, we're playing fast and loose with nearby. I'm, I'm okay. going fact. Uh, uh, 
because of that, I'm going to say cap. That is a fact. <laughs> oh my god! I could cry. We, we, I we could are, cry. Can we get this f- is phenomenal. Uh, can we get a fact check on how nearby UT Martin is, please? You're getting and, and hung from, up. That was, not, that was not the factor cap part of this. We'll, we'll the- double check while you guys keep going on. <laughs> Thank you very much. In any case, we have two left, and Emily has a two-point lead. Such how do you drama. feel, Callum? <laughs> uh, you know, the great ones don't stay down that long, so... It's only been two questions. We're just trying to go one and know at the end of this question. James K. Polk is one of three U.S. presidents who is from the state of Tennessee. However, he notoriously hated the university, once saying, I would no sooner walk barefoot through hot coals than set foot on the University of Tennessee. That's amazing. I want that to be true so bad. Hold on. We, we do have an answer. Oh, well, well, we're going to move backward so, just a second yeah, here. The distance between Tennessee Knoxville and Tennessee Martin, the university, is 330 miles. <laughs> nearby? <laughs> How big is Minnesota? Five-hour, 11-minute drive. But nearby? Uh, ruling on the field. Wow. I still okay. don't think that's... I still well, get the point for that. These yeah. questions did blow me away by how inaccurate the verbiage is. Kevin Logan, do I still get the point for that? <laughs> I say yes. Yeah. We, we have a unanimous decision there. Yeah. Yep, that's fine. Can we get a I repeat just... of question four, please? Sure, a repeat of question four. James K. Polk is one of three U.S. Pre- presidents from the state of Tennessee. However, he notoriously hated the university, once saying, I would no sooner walk barefoot through hot coals than set foot at the University of Tennessee. That does sound like something a president would say, I would no sooner. Cap. Fact. That's Cap. I I I made that entire thing up, and I was pretty proud of it. Wow. Is James that, K. Polk even from Tennessee? He is from Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. That was phenomenal. My my thing was I thought it was going to actually be about Vanderbilt, but it's even more phenomenal that you just <laughs> made it up entirely. You guys don't want to know how long I spent trying to come up with the perfect phrasing of that fake quote. How long was it? I kind of do want to know. You you fooled me. <laughs> I would no sooner. That got me. I was, I'm impressed. Not that, with my answering this week. But. That part came earlier. The actual comparison was the hard part. Yeah. I'm, so Emily has clinched the win today, but I guess just for uh, we got to complete it to finish the uh, fin- finish out the game. You know, uh, if, sti- if you're playing statistic- along at home with someone, you yeah, know they might yeah, be they absolutely. might be two and two right now for statistical purposes. Tennessee coach Josh Heupel's last game as Missouri's offensive coordinator was the 2017 Texas Bowl, which the Tigers lost 33-16 to Texas. Missouri's leading rusher that game was a freshman named Larry Roundtree with 74 yards. Is that true or false? I'm going cap. I also want to go cap on this one. That's a fact. He rushed for 74 yards that game, which led Missouri. Oh. Yeah, I was so close to being perfect. I'll take the win. Oh, I didn't realize you were almost you were that close to going five for five. I know. That would have been phenomenal. Ooh. First win and I'm five for five. And Caleb was not even close to beating me. Yeah, r- rough showing this week. For it Callum. was it was a it was a poor week. Did you only get you know? one right? I only got one right. <laughs> I only Even got I one haven't right. done that In bad. <laughs> fairness, only four of Wilson's questions were right. So uh, <laughs> No. You know, I feel like I only got three wrong. If it's in the same state, it's nearby. That's <laughs> This is a travesty. St. Louis is nearby. St. Louis. 
Most America is, is too big. America is huge. Well, yeah, that I, that'll go. I'll agree with you there. But we'll, let's repeat our score predictions one more time to close out this pod. All right. I, I, I said Missouri 28, Tennessee 21. I have Tennessee 35, Missouri 24. And I have made a mistake, I think, at Missouri 42, Tennessee 18. Regret that early. That early. Do you guys want us to get in on this as well? Oh, please. Oh, yeah, yeah, please, please, yeah. please. Score predictions. You can go first, Cameron. Oh, I got it. You got to put me on the spot after this go. was your <laughs> idea. Okay, actually, Emily, I'm going to flip you. I think that Missouri's going to win 35, Tennessee 24. Interesting. I, I'm apparently the only other one taking Tennessee in this game, and I think they win at 27-23. Let's go, Logan. <laughs> we got it. We're going to be right here. Uh, this has been episode three of the Tiger Kickoff Podcast, where your Columbia, Missourian, Como, Como Sports, Columbia, Missourian. Como Sports. Mm, we're just going to cut this and redo that outro. <laughs> don't. Don't. She went four and one this week, so let her have her mistakes. This is episode four. This episode episode. three. This is episode three of your Tiger Kickoff podcast. We are your Columbia, Missouri, and Mizzou football beat writers. I'm Emily Liker. I'm Cal McAndrew. And I'm Wilson Moore. And we'll talk with you next week. Thank you for listening to the Tiger Kickoff podcast. This podcast is produced by Cameron Connor and Logan Franz. Music for this podcast comes from Alligator Indian. Catch us next week at ColumbiaMissourian.com or wherever you get your podcasts.